not trying to weird anybody out tonight. It's just uh, felt like uh, bridging the divide uh, due to the nature of the subject of tonight's uh, lesson. This weekend, Caleb and I had the opportunity to uh, travel to Austin uh, to keep it weird. No, <laughs> not, not really. But we were there for the uh, workshop that the Southwest Church of Christ hosts uh, now each year in the place of their lectureship. And um, the theme of the series of lessons was uh, Arise and Overcome. And uh, there were a number of lessons uh, presented on subjects varying from Arise and Overcome Temptation, uh, Arise and Overcome Grief, Depression, uh, all different subjects uh, that uh, we deal with as Christians that uh, we need to be prepared for uh, so that uh, we, we can arise and overcome uh, in the best way that we can. Uh, the subject that I had was the subject of grief, and uh, this is not a lesson unfamiliar to me. I, I am asked, from time to time to speak on subjects relative to grief and loss. And uh, if you've been here for a long time, you might uh, recognize some of what I say from about 10 years ago uh, because uh, it was a period in my life when we had just transitioned to here, hadn't been here too long, and, and I and my family were still working through uh, some loss of, of our own. And so preaching about some subjects helps me uh, process uh, those difficulties as well. And so since this is fresh on my mind and something that, that I think would be beneficial to, to many of us and some of us, just brothers and sisters, quite frankly, you, you probably don't even know uh, that you're going to need uh, to think about some of these things just because of the nature of life and the nature of the things that we face uh, in this world. So tonight I would like, uh, for the time that we have, to address the subject of arise and overcome from the depths of grief. Few experiences can shake our foundation like the trauma of loss. And I would underline and emphasize the word foundation in that statement because it does shake our foundation foundation of our being, the foundation of our faith even, is shaken when we experience traumatic uh, loss. When we suffer such events, we grieve. And you know what? Even Christians grieve. And we'll talk more about that in just a moment. But when you're in the throes of it, we wonder, can I survive it? And will I eventually thrive? after I have dealt with that ordeal. So the Bible gives us assurance that we indeed can uh, survive these things, and it even gives us guidance how we can arise and overcome when we have dealt with and when we have processed the grief that we have gone through. I have four points of observation tonight that uh, will help us See how we as Christians can arise and overcome specific to the matter of grief, especially as that relates to, to loss. The first point of observation is this. 
I can arise and overcome by trusting that I am not alone in my grief. Very important to know that, that we are not alone. And when I say grief, you might be wondering, well, what, what are the sources kind of that bring me into a situation like this? And obviously death is a big one. The loss of a job can bring about grief. You know, you may have worked all of your college career and all of your preparation work may have been invested in a particular career and that just crumbled and fell apart before you. That can be a source of grief because it's a traumatic event where you have experienced loss. Sometimes we lose children. Uh, we lose maybe grandparents. I used the illustration yesterday that when I, I, I was far along in my life before I ever really experienced any loss. And that, I think that's very uncommon in most people's situations. When I was born, three of my four grandparents were already dead. And so I just had one. And she lived to be 101 years old. So it, it was a long time before she eventually left this life. And so I was much older. In fact, I would say probably the first real loss that touched me deeply was a lady while I was in preaching school that was like a second mother uh, to me, Janie Brandon. And she, she died while we were in Memphis. And that, that really was the first time for me. And, you know, I, what, I don't even remember how old I was. But, you know, when you, when you can wait till you're around 30 years old, you know, to experience something like that, that's, that's unique. Most people have dealt with it earlier uh, in their life. People can grieve over the loss of a pet. And I mentioned yesterday, I, I struggled to see how that would ever be the case uh, for me, that I would get to a point of grief. But, you know, for some people, they, their relationships with their pets is such that, that they can grieve and find themselves in a very heavy place. And so tonight, you can't really put all the sources in a box and say, these are the only things you can grieve from because there are many reasons why we might find our situation ourselves in a situation where we're grieving, we feel isolated, we feel alone, we feel like the world is going on about its business, and here we are, you know, dealing with our situation all by ourselves. And what I want us to notice at the outset is that we we're not alone in our grief. Now, there is a sense in which it is unique. You know, no, no two situations are the same. And again, I pointed out yesterday, it's not a good idea to tell people when they are grieving, I know just how you feel. Because we don't know just how a person feels. So it's very unique, but it is the common lot of all humanity to face grief over loss. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, we read that God breathed into the nostrils of man the breath of life and he became a living being. We are living beings, but in the very next chapter, we became dying beings. 
Because sin entered in the world, the fall of man brought about death, and so we die. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27 says, As it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. And the only way that that's not going to happen to us individually is if the Lord comes back first. And we happen to be among, among that number that see Him in His descent into the skies while we are yet alive. But even then, the dead won't miss that event. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 11 says that time and chance happen to all men. One of the big questions that comes up in grief is why? And oftentimes the only reason that can be assigned to it is because time and chance happen to all men. Death is a reality and time and chance happens. You know, for whatever reason or whatever event makes this a reality, you know, we're not immune to it just because we are Christians. And so we're not alone. It's the common lot of all humanity, although we have a unique experience. But a point I would like to make at this juncture also is that some of the greatest people you know and that I know have been right where we might find ourselves in this situation. And I'm talking about Bible people. People in the Bible that we can read about that experience the very thing that I'm talking about right now that some of you have experienced already in life and all of us will eventually. There are people that we can look at in the Word of God and be reminded that this is not a unique experience that has only happened to me. I think about Job in Job 2 and verse 13. You know what happened to him and all of the loss that he endured. Verse 13 says of his friends that they came and they sat down on the ground seven days and seven nights and no one spoke a word to him for they saw that his grief was very great. His friends came and they just sat there. And they didn't say anything because probably they didn't know what to say, but they were better helpers than they realized because they were just there. And they helped him to realize he wasn't alone. But he was in a deep place. In chapter 3 and verse 1 we read, After this Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. He cursed the day of his birth. You know he had lived an enjoyable life, a very fruitful life. He was a wealthy, rich man. A godly man. He lived a long time. And yet the events in which he found himself and the heaviness that he was enduring at that time were so bad that it would have been better in his mind to have never been born into this world. I'm telling us, it's a very heavy place. But we need to be reminded we're not the only ones who have experienced this. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 15-19 through 19 record where David, after the son for whom he had prayed and prayed and prayed that God would spare his life, in those verses we realize that the child has died and the servants of David are scared to tell him because they're afraid that he might do harm. Maybe to himself. Or maybe to someone else just because of the heaviness of the grief 
that would be associated with that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 and following, Paul talked about all the, that he had endured in his proclamation of the gospel. And that involved the death. He had endured death for the gospel's sake. It certainly wasn't his own death. Very likely people that he worked in close association with had died. People that he cared about, that he loved. They had passed on from this life. And then you know in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 8, his deep care for all the churches. The idea of grief of difficulty, of hardship, of heaviness in the things about which he was concerned. But think about Jesus. We're not alone in this. Jesus knows what it's like to feel the things that we feel in these periods of heaviness. In Isaiah 53 and verse 3, he's described as a man of sorrows and one who is acquainted with grief. He knows. And in Luke 22, 44 through 45, 44 in particular, we get a glimpse of that. Because there says, if the Bible says, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Grief. The weight and heaviness of traumatic experience. And so some of the greatest people, brothers and sisters, that we know have sat where we sat, have endured the things that we most surely will endure in this life because we're all living beings and death is a part of our reality. In Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 2, Solomon said, it's better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all men and the living will take it to heart. So I would encourage us tonight, if maybe you're in a situation like I was very early on who had never experienced anything like this, to listen very carefully and take note of the things that we talk about for preparation's sake. Because if you're not prepared for it, and if you don't deal with it from a perspective of faith, with biblical insight, you can get in a very deep place. And it's very hard to come back from that sometimes. This is more common than it seems, and so we need not lose sight of that. There's a passage in 1 Corinthians, rather, chapter 10, verses 12 through 13. In verse 12, Paul says, Therefore let him who stands take heed lest he fall. And we often look at that passage in light of temptation because he goes in the next verse, no temptation has taken you such, such as common to man. In preaching school, I was taught to understand that word stands as stands alone or stands by himself. Let no one think that he stands alone. Take heed lest he fall. The idea that I think God has put before me a situation and circumstance unique to me. He's never done this to anybody else. He's never allowed anybody else to be in this situation. It's unique to me. And then I question God and I doubt God because of this unique experience. Well, at least in principle, this passage applies 
here. There's no situation in life that you and I are going to face that is so unique to us that no one else has had a similar experience. Don't get into that kind of thinking to where I'm the only one who's ever experienced this because we haven't. If we think that way, we may fall because we think that God has put before us something that's insurmountable or that we can't possibly deal with. And so number one, if I'm going to arise and overcome and eventually get to a better place in my life through grief, then I'm going to do that by trusting that I'm not alone in my grief. Number two, I can arise and overcome by knowing that grieving is not a sign of weakness. It doesn't mean I'm weak when I go through the process of grieving. For me, as a preacher, that was a big one. I talked about this this yesterday as well. Because people look at leadership in the church, elders perhaps, maybe even deacons, you know, and especially the preacher too, as people who, you know, they they should be at a a more spiritual place and hardships in life shouldn't affect them like they affect normal regular people. And so there's a perception that if a preacher has trouble dealing with difficulty in life, that must mean he's weak. And so if people think that about the preacher, you know, what do we think about ourselves? That we're we're even weaker? And so when something tragic happens in my life and I, I have difficulty processing it, that doesn't mean I'm weak. It doesn't mean you're weak. God has made us in a way to deal with the challenges and difficulties that we face in life. When, right after we became Christians, within like a year, uh, Pam's dad was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And that was a difficult period in our life because they weren't Christians. Our mom and dad weren't. And that became a a matter of immediacy and urgency for us because we wanted to do what we could to share what we had come to know with them. And so it was very difficult, and it was even more difficult when Pam's dad died outside of Christ. And I asked her about sharing this. Don't, don't feel bad for her and think I'm crazy right now. I talked to her about this first. But she bottled that up and locked it inside. And I remember Glenn Hitchcock told her, and this, you know, it may sound crude, right? But it's so true. He said, you need to deal with that. You need to deal with it now. And not bottle it up inside. Because you will deal with it eventually. You, we, 
when we're facing things like this, we can't lock them down so deep inside that we never have to face them again. It'll, it will come back up. And it will come back more difficult and hard. And so we need to allow ourselves the freedom and liberty to deal with hardship in our lives in the way that God has designed us to do that. God's given us the ability to deal with tragedy and loss. The psalmist said in Psalm 139 and verse 14, I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And I have thought about that passage in a number of ways. Obviously with scientific foreknowledge and the design of the world in which we live and you look at the human body and from a very physical perspective and you think, wow, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. But there's more to how God designed us than just that physical and those physical elements we can see. Our ability to take something that should crush us, the tragedy of loss, and to process it in a way that allows us to survive it. Brothers and sisters, we are fearfully and wonderfully made by our God. Because we can be like a pressure cooker ready to explode. And without some kind of release valve, we would. But God has given us a way to release that pressure. And it's called grief. It's not an ugly word. It's not something that only people who don't know Christ deal with. It's just part of being a creature created by a wise and all-knowing God. And so there are phases of grief that we experience in some form or fashion. I don't like the illustrations that show a staircase that have the different phases of grief, like there are steps that you go up and you follow them in order and when you reach the top, you're all done. It's not like that at all. It's more like circles that float around and overlap one another and bump into each other and you may be in one phase at one moment and three at the next. They're very reliable in the kinds of things that we experience but they're very unpredictable in the way that we deal with them. What are, what are some of those? Shock. Just the initial shock of learning. And then denial. I don't believe it. It can't be true. It can't be. Anger. I'm mad at God because this has happened to my family. You know, that, as a preacher, I say it, I've, I've struggled with this. But I remember our month stay at Medical City in Dallas with our son Jaden. And I remember other families there who just very obviously had no interest in Christ, no interest in the Gospel. Uh, some very worldly people who were there in the same situation we were in. And yet, after a period of time, they walk out of the hospital with their child. 
Everything's good. But not us. We never left the hospital with our child. And I prayed and I prayed and I studied my Bible and I've tried to live my life in the very best way that I could. Anger. Job was angry. And so anger, bargaining. Just let this unfold some other way. Just don't let it unfold this way, God. I'll do this, 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 and this. Just let there be some reality other than this one. Bargaining. Depression. Where you feel like you're carrying a cinder block or two around on your chest. And all of that's very heavy. But then, there's a phase of acceptance where we begin to accept what has happened. We've had time to process it. We've had time to be angry. We've had time to feel the depression. And now we're, we're accepting of it. It is my reality. And I'm not unique. Other people have faced very similar realities. I accept this. I don't like it. It's not what I wanted, but I accept that this is my reality. And then, at least from my own experience, I like to add in reflection. Where I'm able to reflect on what has happened. And just think about what has unfolded in my life as a direct result of that event. Not glad that it happened, but how how has this impacted my life? Reflection. I know this stuff is heavy. It's not easy for anyone. And it hurts all of us regardless of the degree of our faith. But that's the point I'm trying to get us to understand, brothers and sisters, is it doesn't mean you're weak when you deal with grief. The psalmist said in Psalm 31 and verse 9, Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I'm in trouble. My eye wastes away with grief. Yes, my soul and my body. The psalmist recognized the reality of these things. Now number three, I can arise and overcome by staying focused on God as I work through my grief. We need to pick a spot and focus on it. And that spot is God. I use the illustration of of a compass and the compass course that I went through in the military where you're taught to take that compass and aim it in the direction that you want to go and find an object that is in alignment with that direction and identify that object, then you can put that compass away and walk toward that object. And when you get there, you know you're in the right direction so you can pull it out again get your direction again find another object and just keep moving in the right direction and that's kind of how we need to think about God in this regard that's our constant he's not going to move and change and the Bible tells us that we sing the song hold to God's unchanging hand because that's what the Bible teaches us his hand doesn't change and there are a number of passages that say that Hebrews 13, 5 
through 6 says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. And then the psalmist said in Psalm 23 and verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And so there's a constant that we can focus on and we can be assured that we can make it to the other side of the things that we are enduring because we're holding to God's unchanging hand and we're focused on Him. God knows. He knows what we are going through. He knows. I think about Elijah and how God helped him in 1 Kings 19. You ought to read that sometime. And think about the phases of grief that we talked about. And just note how many of those Elijah was going through and how God addressed each of those phases of grief. How he was withdrawn and he went into a cave to hide from Jezebel and God calls him out of the cave. He wouldn't eat. God says eat. He knows. And so we just need to hold to His unchanging hand. Job, through it all, held to God's unchanging hand and the Bible says that he did not sin in all of these things. David, held to God's unchanging hand when he realized the child was dead, he got up from his prayers he said, he shall not return to me, but I shall go to him. David knew there was hope beyond this life. Jesus grieved. But they all found their way through it. And so can we if we hold to God's unchanging hand. Number four, and finally, I can arise and overcome by knowing that God can make good out of bad. Tragedies happen and it's not God's fault. God did not do anything to us or toward us. But He can use it. The principle of Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 is, is true that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. Now, that doesn't mean everything in our life is going to be good. If it were, we wouldn't be talking about this tonight. But what it does mean is God's plans work together for good. And when we are on His side, when we are aligned with Him, we are beneficiaries and recipients from the good that He works in tragedy, in difficulty, and hardship in life. You just have to be with God. And God has a great track record of making good out of bad. Let me just give you a few. Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20 with Joseph. When he met his brothers, you know what he said? He told them, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good. You did what you did for evil, but God used your evil for good. To bring about this day to save many people alive. Paul knew that. He knew that God could make good out of bad. 
In Philippians chapter 1 and verse 12, he says the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. All of the hardship he endured, he says God made good out of it. It's hard to see that on this side, but in reflection, we can look back and see how God has helped us, how He's helped us to come through. And in many cases, we can see good that He's worked in our lives. The psalmist said in Psalm 3, verses 2 and 3, Many are they that say to me, There is no help for Him in God. You know, the deniers mock and say, You're looking to God for help, but there's no help for you from God. But the psalmist said, But you, O Lord, are a shield to me, my glory, and the one who lifts up my head. How does he do that? Well, he uses it to help others. Some of your darkest, most difficult experiences in life one day eventually can be used by God to help other people. Especially when they find themselves in the same situation. Again, you don't know just how they feel, but you do have some idea about what it's like to go through what they're going through. In Romans chapter 12, verse 15, Paul said we're to rejoice with those who rejoice. We're to weep with those that weep. And that's very... It's, it's much easier to do that when we know what they're going through. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2 says we're to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And we do that many times because we know what those burdens are and how to help to bear them. And so He can use it to help others. He can use it to help you as well. I, a year before the situation with our son, I taught a grief class at Atlanta where I was preaching. Just figured it would be a good subject to study. A lot of people could use it there. A lot of older people who had lost you know, their mates. It just seemed like a good subject to cover and little did I know I was preparing myself to endure some things and I helped myself. And some of the things that I had studied and read. And so God can use it to help you as well. Even after the fact, God can use it to help you. The psalmist said, It's good that I've been afflicted, that I may lean or learn your statutes. Affliction and hardship in life reminds us that our existence is not just about this life. If it were, we'd want to stay here forever there's something greater, there's something better that we're to look forward to. And, it, and we need to be reminded sometimes. And not that we want difficulty and hardship to come our way, but when it does, there ought to be a sense in which it reminds us there's something greater and there's something better than this. God will make good out of bad. Abraham said in Genesis chapter 18, shall not the judge of all the earth be right? And Revelation chapter 21 and verse 4 reminds us of God's ability to wipe away every tear. No more death. No more sorrow. No more crying. 
should be no more pain. Thank you, God, the judge of all the earth who will do right and who can make good out of our bad. And even though I can't see it and I don't understand how He possibly could, it's not up to me to understand it so that God can do it. And the Bible tells us that. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20 says that God is able to do exceedingly abundant above all that we ask or think. It's been interesting to me in my life sometimes when I have prayed about things and I knew just how God needed to fix it. You know, like this is the only way you can do it. This is the only way that it's going to work out. And so that's what I pray for, but yet God does it in His own way. And he still does it. He doesn't need me to tell him. I just need to stand back and give him room to work. Isaiah 64 and verse 8 says, But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are the work of your hand. Do you believe that God can make good out of bad? Just stand back and let him be the potter and be the clay and let him work it out in your life. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5-6 through six says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. God works beyond our understanding. And I'm glad that He's not limited to what I think or what I hope or what I know. I wish I could say that you and I would never anymore, any longer need to hear words like this. But I know the reality of it, and that's just not true. We will all face situations like this. And it can overcome us, or we can overcome it. God has given us the ability to process the tragedy and hardship in our life in a way that will allow us to emerge on the other side in a way that glorifies and honors Him. These are some things from my experience coupled with what the Bible says that I hope that you have found in some way helpful tonight. If you're here and you're not a Christian, you need to obey the gospel. The faith, repentance, confession, and baptism for the remission of your sins. Become a Christian, a child of God tonight. And live in spite of hardship, tragedy, and loss with hope. Hope that you can survive anything that this world and this life brings your way. And that one day... You will overcome it all in eternity with God in heaven and the home that He has prepared for each of us. Maybe you're a Christian tonight out of duty, out of sync with God and you need to get that right. We're going to sing a song to encourage and if you have any need at all we can help you with, why don't you use this opportunity as we stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this recorded audio of a sermon that was preached at the Roanoke Church of Christ. If you'd like to visit us, you can do so at 608 Dallas Drive, Roanoke, Texas, 76262, or you can visit our website at roanokechurchofchrist.org. We hope to see you soon, and may God bless you.